Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It's your host, MD. Steph is out this week. She's recovering from dental work she recently had done, and we decided to give her a break and an opportunity to recover. In the meantime, I'm bringing you a juicy, true crime story, but it's not on our music and murder theme. We decided to push pause on that and wait to resume when Steph is back with us next week. So let's dive in. Grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. Now, I'm naming this episode Church Girl Gone Wrong. So this story is about Carolyn Clark. And Carolyn Clark was raised in Portsmouth, Virginia, to a pretty large family. She was described as being positive, funny, easygoing, and down to earth. Her family had a long history with the Pentecostal church and they were devout members. Now, what I found really interesting when I was doing some of my research on this case and watching one of the documentaries, which is Deadly Devotion uh, season three, I believe, they described Carolyn's family as being amongst the founding members of the Pentecostal church. And so... I thought that was pretty alarming that they were able to trace their ancestry back that far. But Carolyn's family were devout members of the Pentecostal denomination. And her parents, you know, kept that same tradition alive with her and her siblings. Her father was a deacon. Her mother was uh, described as being a missionary. And they passed on their beliefs to Carolyn and their siblings or and her siblings. They gave her a Bible when she was a little girl and they told her, this is the book that you need to live by. You must read it and study it every single day. And she did just that. She read her Bible and attended services several times throughout the week. Her pastor was one of the most important people in her and her family's life. And they relied on his leadership, his authority, and basically what he told them they lived by. Now let's pause just a quick moment because some of you may be sitting out there like, I have no clue what the Pentecostal church is. And so I want to kind of give you a little background on that. The Pentecostal church is a part of the denomination of evangelical Christianity. And so there's various denominations within Christianity and Pentecostal is one of them. Now I'm going to describe what traditionally Pentecostals are. So if you are a part of the Pentecostal denomination out there, do not jump on my back if this does not fully describe your church. But this is the traditional Pentecostal church. They place a huge emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So specifically, 
things like speaking in tongues and supernatural healing. And traditionally, pastors in the Pentecostal church are more charismatic, more energetic, and they have certain rules that they require their parishioners to live by. So for example, women cannot wear pants in the church. They can only wear dresses and they're not allowed to wear, you know, makeup at all. Also, men and women are highly discouraged from marrying outside of the Pentecostal denomination. So this is the life that Carolyn grew up in. And when Carolyn was young, she adored the church. But like most teens, as she got older, she began to feel like the church was a little oppressive and that they were just, you know, not allowing her to really get to know who she was and and have the freedom to develop into the woman that she wanted to become. And this really started to become more realized for Carolyn as she entered into high school. And when she attended a public school, she recognized just how sheltered she was. And so as most teens do, she began to rebel against her parents and the church. And at 17, she started dating this guy behind her parents' back. Well, that relationship ended with her becoming pregnant. And this guy decided that he didn't want anything to do with Carolyn or the baby. And so he dipped out. Peace. So Carolyn was left heartbroken and with the responsibility of having to tell her parents about how she went against her faith, went against her beliefs and and the church's beliefs and had sex outside of marriage And not only that, she got pregnant. Well, she did. She told her parents and they were devastated, but they, of course, still loved Carolyn. She welcomed her her son in 1981 and she just fell in love with with her, her baby and all the things that come with motherhood. But she really wanted to get back in the church's good graces. She decided, you know, I'm going to reaffirm my commitment to Christ. And she did that at at the age of 19, rededicated her life to him and began to do what she did when she was younger. Go back to church, read her Bible and get back active in the church community. But the church really kind of only believed that she was able to restore her reputation if she got remarried or not remarried, if she got married, because they were like, you have this baby outside of wedlock. And so every time we see you, we see this shame that you have brought upon the church. And so the only way for you to rectify this wrong is to marry someone. Now, remember, the Pentecostal church has a tradition of encouraging or discouraging their congregants from marrying outside of the Pentecostal faith. So her family, her parents decided that there was only one way to restore their daughter's reputation, and that was to help her find somebody to marry inside the Pentecostal church. They turned to uh, this guy that was known in the Pentecostal uh, church in Virginia, Portsmouth, Virginia. Uh, And he actually lived in Ohio. He was Bishop Ori's keys. And he was known for arranging marriages amongst 
not just his congregants, but just really kind of the entire governing body of the Pentecostal faith in Virginia. So now he was in Ohio, but he started in Virginia. So he was still under the government, governmental body of Virginia. And so his reputation preceded him. Carolyn's parents packed everything up and they drove out to visit Bishop Keyes in hopes that he would be able to find somebody for their daughter so that she could once again be completely restored in the eyes of the church. Now, this is, you know, how how it was. So it's kind of crazy to me, but this is what they wanted. And Carolyn wanted the same thing. She really deeply desired that she could, that Bishop Keyes would be able to find somebody for her. And when they met Bishop Keyes, he immediately looked at Carolyn and knew exactly who he was going to introduce his, introduce to Carolyn. And he introduced his nephew, Ralph Clark. He believed that the perfect fit, they would be a perfect fit for one another and that Ralph would be the leader that Carolyn needed and would be able to provide and protect Carolyn in the way that they that her parents hoped that she would. And so when he introduces them, immediately after, he instructs them to get married. He was like, okay, now you've met and now you need to get married. Her family and Bishop were really pushing Carolyn. I'm talking about days after she met him to marry Ralph. Now, she was a little hesitant about this. She felt like, what? Why why would I marry some guy that I've only known for a mere few days? But she also really felt like if she didn't do this, she wouldn't be able to restore her reputation. And she felt like her parents and the bishop were pushing her in a way that if she didn't do this, it would be like she was sinning. So she decided only five days, guys, after meeting Ralph, that she would move to Ohio, marry Ralph, and then join Bishop Key's church. And so that is exactly what Carolyn did. She found herself only five days after meeting Ralph in a new place with a man she barely knew all alone. But she ended up falling for Ralph's charm, his virtues, his dedication and love for God. And she felt eventually, it took a little bit of time, but eventually she felt like Ralph was devoted to her and he was devoted to to their family. And so she fell for him. She fell in love with him. And together they built a family and had many more children. Now, I did a little bit of research to determine exactly how many more children they had, but it was very it wasn't readily available. I wasn't able to determine that, but it's at least 5 additional kids that her and Ralph had. So Ralph raised Carolyn's oldest son, Terrence, who she had out of, you know, out of wedlock. He raised them him as his own and then they had more kids. Now, their life together really mimicked Carolyn's life as a child. They prioritized the church, and then everything else came underneath that priority. It was very important 
to Carolyn and Ralph that they honor and respect Bishop Keyes. And Bishop Keyes demanded that of his congregants. Bishop also had a son named Charles. Now, Charles was not preaching or teaching in the church, but he also demanded that same kind of respect that Bishop Keyes had his father. And he had not only demanded that in his church, but he demanded that among his various businesses that he had and operated with his father. Now, Ralph worked several different jobs for the church because he didn't make enough money from just one of his jobs to be able to provide for him and Carolyn and the children. So he worked various jobs for Bishop Keyes and for Bishop Keyes' son, Charles. But the pay still was very, very minimum, and they found themselves just kind of scraping to get by. But they didn't complain because they felt like they had everything they needed with the church, with the bishop, and with each other and their their children. But in June 2002, things would take a turn because one Sunday, out of nowhere, Charles Keyes came to the church, stepped in the pulpit, and told the congregants that his father was sick. And as a result of his sickness, which, by the way, was Alzheimer's, he would be taking over the church. Now, in the Pentecostal church, there are certain procedures and steps to be able to take on the position of a bishop or even to just preach. But Charles didn't do any of those steps. He didn't let the governing body of Virginia know he was taking over. He just woke up one day, came to the church, made this announcement, and dared anybody to question his authority on it. Now, Carolyn was very uneasy about this, but at the same time, they were taught that they honored the bishop or the pastor that was in charge. And so they were like, well, we're going to give him our honor and respect the same way that we would if it was Bishop Keys. And what smoothed everything over, not only for Carolyn and her family, but for the congregants as well, is that Charles produced a letter that appeared to come from Bishop Keys saying that it was his desire and his want for Charles to take over the position of bishop now that he no longer was capable. So Carolyn and everyone in the congregation decide it's a little strange, it's not normal, but we're going to keep pushing forward and go about our business the way that we feel Bishop Keyes would want us to do. And surprisingly, the congregation really liked Bishop Charles, his style. They felt like he had a very charismatic personality and his messages were way more engaging than his father, Bishop Keyes. So they were like, hey, you know, even though this is a little non-traditional, we really like this guy. So I think this is going to work. But not only was his coming into Bishop non-traditional, but just even 
his beliefs and what he allowed in the church was very non-traditional. So now remember, I told you that women were not allowed to wear pants. And I didn't say this, but the dresses and skirts that they wore had to be very modest in appearing, in, you know, in appearance. So they couldn't wear skirts and dresses that, you know, showed a lot of their leg. They had to wear them that was like below the knee, close to the ankle. Well, when Bishop Charles became bishop, he allowed women to wear short skirts and short dresses. And he even said, you can wear makeup, not a problem. He just really began to shake things up a little bit and veer off from the traditional path that the governing body of Virginia required. He also didn't use the Bible. Now, I know you're probably like, okay, well, this is a Christian church. They believe in the Bible. What was he doing? Well, he was just getting up there and uh, saying messages about himself, basically saying things like, you know, he made himself out to be the only man through which God spoke. Red flag. He said that if, you know, they wanted to know the truth, they had to come through him because he was the truth. Red flag. And you know, that he was, in fact, God. Major red flag, right? So all of this begins to get back, word begins to get back to the governing body in Virginia. And they're like, hold up, Charles, you're going to have to come on down here and have a conversation with us because you're not going to be able to be underneath our governing body, but not follow our rules and our procedures and our processes. And if you refuse to do so, we're going to kick you out. Well, Charles comes down and he visits with them and he's like, not a problem. I'm just going to leave y'all. I don't need y'all. I will have my own church. And so that's exactly what he did. (laughs) He left from underneath the governing body of Virginia Pentecostal church and renamed his church and began to operate under his own authority and his own rule and did his own thing. And the congregation, even if they were hesitant, they followed right on along. They obeyed everything that he outlined and demanded of his congregants. He started to require them to pay money specifically to him, not to the church. So like tithe to me, um, he began to tell them how he need, how they were to raise their children. Everything that they did had to come through him. He also required the congregants that had children He required them to allow him to discipline them. So like if they were out of line and they were acting bad, he had authority to come and spank their kids, beat their kids. And listen, I know you sitting out there and you're like, MD, are you for real? So serious. I think more than me being for real is the appalling nature that the congregation actually allowed him to do this. They even described on one of the documentaries that I watched, a woman described how a kid was throwing a tantrum or like kind of was just like loud or whatever during the sermon. And he threw that kid out of the window in the middle of the sermon. 
where is the outrage? Where is the uproar? Where is the I'm not coming back to this church? It 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 was non-existent. But Carolyn, she was very uneasy about this. She felt like this is not normal. I have grown up in the Pentecostal church all my life and I've never seen anything like this. This is a huge transition between Bishop Keys and, and, and Bishop Charles. And she really didn't like it, but she felt like she had to stay. And I think that that probably is what most congreg- congregants felt like. But in 2004, she had her last, like it was her last straw. She was like, she dealt with it for two years. She saw the crazy, the chaos. But in 2004, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And she was like, I, I'm not going to be able to keep keep up with this. Because Charles came home one night beaten and bloodied. And she's like rushing to his side because she's like, what happened? And Charles tells her that, I'm sorry, Ralph, Ralph, <laughs> her husband comes home beaten and bloody. She rushes to his side and she asks Ralph, like, what happened? He tells her, it's okay. Everything is great. I've been redeemed. I'm delivered because Charles beat me. And she's like, wait a minute, what? Charles beat you? And he's like, yes, Charles beat me, but it's not a problem. I asked him to beat me. I asked him to beat me because I was, you know, feeling resentful. Because I wasn't able to pay all this this money that, you know, Charles was requiring of his congregants to pay. And he felt like, you know, I, I barely have this money and I'm barely getting by and you're requiring me to pay all of this. Uh, and he began to feel resentment towards Bishop Charles. So he goes and has a conversation with Bishop Charles. And Bishop Charles says, well, there's only one way for you to be delivered. You must be beat like Jesus was beat. Would you like to be beat like Jesus was beat? So he gives him the opportunity to say yes or no. And Ralph says, absolutely. I want to be delivered. And so Pastor or Bishop Charles had what was called a deliverance team. And this deliverance team would come and beat anybody that requested to be beaten so that they could be redeemed, so that they could be delivered from whatever sin that they were struggling with. I know, I know, I know y'all out there with the major side eye, cause I am too. But Ralph felt like after this beating, he was in fact delivered. And he was so, it was at that time that Carolyn realized he is so indoctrinated and he is so devoted to not the Pentecostal church, but to this bishop she really feared for the lives of her children at that point. Like, if he's this indoctrinated, how indoctrinated are my children? Because she had older children and she had younger children. And she was very concerned at this point. And shortly after that, she got a part-time job to help with the money because, you know, they could barely make ends meet paying, you know, Bishop Charles all these tithes. And getting this part-time job was really the best thing for Carolyn to recognize this is a cult because she began to meet people that were outside of this, you know, of her bubble, of her, of this congregation. And she recognized this isn't normal. Now, I don't know why it took that, 
But it took that for her to recognize this. This is abnormal behavior and we need to get up out of this. And so she goes to her husband and she says to Ralph, she's like, we've got to come out. We need to leave. This is not normal. And she, you know, begins to try to convince him that there's no other solution but for us to 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 move away from Ohio to get from under this congregation. But as you can imagine, Ralph, he wanted no parts of that. He refused. He was dedicated to the church and he told um, he was so dedicated to the church that he went and told Bishop Charles about Carolyn's desire to want to leave the church. So Charles summons Carolyn to his office. He's like, I need to meet with you. And she goes. Now, she knows that when she goes, it's probably not going to be the best interaction. But she had no idea that when she went, it would be the most traumatizing thing she ever had to experience. Because not only did she get chastised for wanting to leave the church, but Bishop Charles sexually assaulted her. So when she leaves, she comes home, she rushes home, and she's like, surely when I tell my husband this, we will be able to leave the church. But no, absolutely not. Ralph is like, yeah, that, I, yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. That's what was supposed to happen. It's the only way for you to be delivered. And she's just so appalled. She can't even believe that she's telling her husband that she's been sexually assaulted. And his response is to say, yeah, absolutely. That's what should happen. So she gets this like little knickknack, like, you know, like a small little item in her in her room. And she out of anger, picks it up. She throws it. Now, she doesn't throw it at Ralph, but she throws it near him. It hits the the mirror in their room and falls But that little action that she did, that one action, began a spiral of events that would lead Carolyn to her inevitable demise. Now, after she had this conversation with Ralph, her husband, and she recognizes he is crazy, And he's not leaving this church. She knew she had to protect her kids at all costs. And so she began to do what she needed to do to try to get full custody of her children. She began the process of trying to file for full custody and all of that. Well, or she didn't file for full custody yet, but she began to see what she needed to do to leave the home, to separate her from her children. Well, simultaneously, Ralph goes back and tells Bishop Charles about what happened when she came home. Cause he's like appalled. Like she's not delivered yet. Like you did this and she's still not delivered. And he tells her, she even threw this little item at me. And Bishop Charles is like, what? She threw an item at you? Oh, absolutely not. You need to file for divorce and you need to call the police and you need to file, you know, a domestic abuse charges. And sure enough, Ralph does exactly what Charles tells him to do. And she was charged with domestic violence. She, he divorced her and he won full custody of the kids as a result of the domestic violence 
charge, right? And so in De- by December 2004, Carolyn is without her children. She is without her husband and without her church. She is all alone. But one of her friends from work takes her in. And although she's spending the first Christmas she's ever spent without her kids, she does so. But she does so with a resolve of knowing that this will be the last Christmas she ever spends without them. Because she decides that she's going to fight the church and she is going to fight Ralph. She takes an affidavit to the court in March 2005, and she begins the process to win her children back. She describes in this affidavit that's filed with the court all that she witnessed and suffered during her time with the church. She describes the beatings of the kids, how he sexually abused her, how he had a deliverance team and he would beat people, how all of these congregants were under the mind control of Bishop Charles. She also files a restraining order against Ralph. And when she gets all of these things in place, CPS gets involved and they open up a case on Bishop Charles. And as a result of this investigation, Carolyn actually wins temporary custody of her children. Now, during this investigation, right, Bishop Charles begins to preach in the pulpit that Carolyn, specifically he names her, was the devil. Now, her children are in the church. Her ex-husband is in the church, but he says she's the devil and she's trying to tear this church apart and she is not of God. And so her children began to believe that She was, in fact, the devil. They even stated in one of the documentaries I watched that they called her devil, not mommy, but devil. But two months after she filed this affidavit and this investigation began, she won what, like I told you, temporary custody of her children. But her older children, they were old enough to make a decision about where they wanted to stay, and they refused to come live with her because the church had convinced them that she was, in fact, the devil. Now, her youngest kids, they didn't want to move either, but they really didn't have any choice. And so her five youngest kids moved in with her and her friend, and she began to start the process of trying to heal what was damaged as a result of Ralph, her ex-husband, and the church. They celebrated a late Christmas together. She gave them presents and she just began to dote on them in only the way that a mother could. She also started to make plans to visit Portsmouth, Virginia, her hometown, but also do what she needed to do to move back there because she knew that staying here in Ohio was not the best thing for her and her kids because of the pressures and the rumors and the gossip of the church. So she starts to, you know, get everything together. And the night of May 7, 2005, she is packing up and making sure everything is all her ducks are in a row because the next morning they're going to head head on to Portsmouth, Virginia. But the night before she was supposed to leave, Ralph actually breaks 
his restraining order. He comes beating on her friend's door and her friend, Helen, she wakes up, you know, she comes to the door and she's like, "Uh, uh-uh, you're not supposed to be here. But Carolyn kind of like, she lets it go. And she's like, listen, I'm not afraid of him. I'm not worried about him. You just need to go. And so Ralph leaves and her friend goes back to sleep. Carolyn, she, you know, heads back doing what she needs to do. But in the early morning hours of May 7th, 2005, Helen was awoken again because she hears a crash and it's 2 a.m. in the morning. She wakes up, she sits up and she, because she heard this crash. And then the next thing she hears is Carolyn screaming. And so she immediately calls the police. And when she looks out the window, she sees a car speeding away, but she can't tell who is driving this car. So she gets up, she rushes out to try to find Carolyn, and she finds Carolyn on the floor, drowning in her own blood. And the worst part about all of this is her kids were standing right there, watching and seeing what happened to their mother. Carolyn described, I mean, Helen described Carolyn as being almost unrecognizable, that she was beaten so severely bad that you couldn't even, I mean, she knew it was Carolyn, but you couldn't recognize that it was Carolyn. Carolyn was rushed to the the hospital, and as Helen was trying to, you know, gather all her things to go to, up strolls Bishop Charles. And it's it's at this point, like 2.30, 3 in the morning, and here he comes fully dressed with an entourage of men coming behind him. And she's like, wait a minute, it's early in the morning. Y'all shouldn't look like y'all been out and about. So she really felt in her gut that they had something to do with this. Now, the detectives, they come in and they begin to do a scan of the the house and began to investigate the the crime scene. And what they recover is live rounds on the floor. Now, this is really odd to them because shortly after Carolyn arrived at uh, the hospital, she succumbed to her injuries and the doctors told the detectives that she died from blunt force trauma to the head. So when they see these live rounds on the on the ground, but they can't find a gun anywhere near, they're really like very suspicious of this. Like what happened here? Why is there these live rounds and and yet she wasn't killed with a a gun. She wasn't shot. However, they didn't have to figure it, figure it out too long. They didn't have to go searching for answers too long because Helen let them know that, you know, the children were awoke. They saw what happened. So we should definitely question them. And so they did. And when they talked to the children, they found out that it was Ralph, their father, who killed their mother. And so they go and they arrest Ralph and Ralph immediately confesses. He doesn't try to sugarcoat this. He's like, yep, I killed her. Um, I, you know, refused to lose my children. He knew that Carolyn was likely moving back to Portsmouth, Virginia, and he didn't want no parts of that. He wanted his kids. And so he said he couldn't bear the idea that he would be without them. So he went to, he, he, he took his brother's gun and he broke into her apartment and he began to try to fire the gun, but the gun jammed and he couldn't get it to work. And so hence the live rounds that were spent on the ground. 
And so he picked up a baseball bat and he started to beat her in the head with the baseball bat. Completely senseless and completely unnecessary. So Ralph was, he pled guilty to murder and he received 28 years in prison for committing this crime. He is eligible for parole in 2033. Now, many people believe that Bishop Charles is also responsible for Carolyn's murder because they believe that he directed Charles uh, Ralph to kill his wife. As a matter of fact, one of the one of Carolyn's sons, one of her older sons, said that he heard Bishop Charles say to his father, "Your wife is causing havoc. She's causing havoc in the church, and she is causing havoc." in your home. And the only way to redeem yourself is by getting rid of Carolyn. Now, no matter how much we may all believe, and believe me, I do believe that Bishop Charles is responsible. He is not criminally responsible, according to the police. And so he was never charged for anything to do with the death of Carolyn. However, that CPS investigation that was launched as a result of Carolyn's affidavit ended up being the nail in the coffin for Bishop Charles because CPS ended up determining that that there was abuse that was occurring in the church and they removed 26 children from amongst that church. The negative attention began to, you know, just get around the, the, the town. And, and, and so Ch- Charles, he ended up fleeing Ohio and moved to Vegas where he said that that's where God wanted him to be. And so I really loved what was said at the end of one of the documentaries that I watched, which was even though Catherine, Carolyn's death was in vain. And it, I mean, even though her, her death was senseless and it was was for no reason at all and completely unnecessary. She did not die in vain because it was her mission to expose the church and Bishop Charles. And although she was never here to see that exposure by her death, she accomplished it, her goal of exposing that church because not when when Bishop Charles moved to Vegas, the church completely split and is no longer in existence. Now, what Bishop Charles is out there doing and terrorizing and praying, who he's praying on, well, we don't know. But we do know that he's no longer in Ohio praying on those people. Now for our takeaways. So my takeaway is pretty simple. Just because it looks good or it's supposed to be good doesn't mean it is good. So typically, I think overall, for the most part, when people think of church, we think of 
something good, something that is supposed to be good. We don't think of negative. We don't think that bad people would be in the church. Or maybe you do. But more often than not, that's not what we think of. However, even in a church, you can have people who are narcissistic about themselves, hateful, you know, and manipulative. And that's exactly what Bishop Charles was. And it is just so unfortunate that Carolyn got caught up in the mess of 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 Bishop Charles. She got caught up her husband her ex-husband got caught up and therefore by like as a bystander her children got caught up in the mess of Bishop Charles. But it also is a reminder that people are people and they are flawed, they are human, pastors are human, bishops are human, people are human. And so by nature there's nobody, not one person on this earth that is perfect. And so when you decide to follow after a person, you can find yourself getting caught up in this. And see Carolyn and her family, they put a lot of they basically put their bishop on a pedestal. And so when he failed, when he made mistakes which he was going to, then it collapses in front of them. And so it's just a reminder to everyone out there that if you're if you are a Christian, if you are if you do believe in 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 God, that it's not the pastor that you should be following, but God, Jesus, right? So that's my takeaway. Definitely hate that this ever had to occur and like mo like like Almost every murder that we ever talk about is senseless, is unnecessary, it is pointless. But I am so grateful in the same breath that her murder was not in vain. That as a result of what happened to her, Bishop Charles was exposed for the person that he truly is a manipulative narcissist. Definitely hated that we didn't have Steph for this episode today, but we ask that you tune in next week for another episode of Murder in the Black, where we will bring back our series on music and murder. Until next time, like Steph says, share if you can. This is MD, and this is Murder in the Black. Bye.